0: This is Peter David, and you're listening to Superior Spider Talk, and I'm not wearing any pants.
1: to the Superior Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdin, and I'm the editor of GrindMyReels.com.
2: And I'm Mark Gianacchio, editor of the Chasing Amazing blog.
1: Thanks for joining us for the 20th episode, can you believe it, Mark? woo Of Superior Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture.
2: Yes, and for episode 20, we'll be sharing some of the creator interviews I collected at New York Comic Con. I talked to so many people who worked on Spider-Man that we decided to group these interviews thematically and release them as three separate jumbo podcasts.
1: Uh, Giant-sized, if you will.
2: Giant-sized Marvel podcast. That's correct. Uh, Like the giant-sized man thing. Uh, uh, No, so um, you should have Hopefully already have downloaded our superior Spider art episode Um, This one we're going to call the Spider-Man Writers Room Edition because I couldn't think Of a better title Uh, These interviews focus on the writers Who have worked on Spider-Man That's going to be current and old Uh, So in this uh, episode you're going to find interviews with currently working on the Marvel Knights Spider-Man mini. Fred Van Lenti, who uh, scripted Amazing Spider-Man during the post-brand-new day, pre-big-time era. And then Peter David, who probably needs no introduction, but in case you do need me to introduce him, he worked on Amazing Spider-Man. He created Spider-Man 2099, and he wrote on Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, and he's pretty much considered one of the best comic book writers out there, period.
1: I cannot wait to hear it. So, if you can't wait to hear it, you can also skip the specific sections using your chapter selection arrows on your player. Although, I would say you should listen to all the interviews. Um, also, if you hear this sound, please check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image to enhance your listening experience. Of course, you can find all of our Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.podomatic.com or find us on iTunes by searching Superior Spider Talk. And if you do, please leave a rating and a comment and let us know how we're doing. And again, we'll read it on the air. So let's get to the interviews, Mark. Spider-Man
3: and his amazing friends, Iceman and Firestar. Firestar.
2: This is Marcinacchio from Superior Spider Talk here with uh, Matt Kint. Matt is uh, new to the Spider-Man universe, but has uh, been a long-term comic book writer on titles such as uh, Mind Management and uh, Red-Handed. Um, Matt's uh, debut was with the Marvel Knights Spider-Man miniseries, which came out earlier this month. Matt, thanks for joining us. I guess you know the first question is, uh, how did you come to uh, start working on this Marvel Knights imprint? Was this an idea that had been kind of kicking around in your head for a while, or did someone from Marvel come to you? What's, I guess, the genesis of that?
3: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I got a call out of the blue. From Axel and he's calling me he's like, Hey, do you wanna do how's it going? Do you wanna do the Spider Man series? We're gonna relaunch Marvel Knights and and I have an idea. I have a title for you. It's called 99 Problems, where you fight all 99 villains. And it's like, are you interested in doing that? And I was like,
1: oh,
3: oh. <laughs> Spider-Man, sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll figure out the math on the 99 villains later, you know. I mean? but then I, I was like, well, how many issues do I get? He's like, you get five issues. And I'm like, well, that's like, how many villains per issue? <laughs> like 20 villains an issue. Um, I was like, that's fine as long as I'm not drawing it, that's cool. Yeah. That's how it happened.
2: Yeah. Um, now, did you feel, given the current status quo in the Spider-Man universe with Superior and Doc Ock as, as Peter, did you feel pressure from the fan base to have to be the first one to really do a pure Peter Parker story
3: since Superior? No, I had no idea what was going on in that book. I, I have to be honest, like, I don't have time to read a lot of the comics because so I'm right, right. doing so many, but... Um, yeah, I think it was just a lucky... I sort of, like, lucked into this timing, too, where, you know, like, people were like, where's Peter Parker? And why you Peter Parker? And Peter Parker's all I know. Like, I grew up reading Spider-Man, you know? And, like, I like, my earliest issues are, like... I have one, like, Frank Miller drew, like, one of his early, early mm-hmm. issues, you know? Right, right. Like, so that's what I know, like... And that was the other thing when Axel asked me, I was like, Well I wanna do the Spider Man I know and, you know, I don't wanna worry in the beauty of the Marvel Knights, there's no continuity I have to worry about. Oh, right. You know, so I to me mean, the continuity is yeah what well, Spider Man's always been, you know, and it's Peter Parker. And he's always got problems and money and girls. And right. And uh, so that's kind of where I, I started from. Yeah.
2: Now, now, now the trademark of Marvel Knights has always been that it's a kind of a darker version of the mainstream Marvel universe. I mean, did that was that something that you, I guess, consciously set out to do in in this story? Because I mean, looking at the first issue, it's it's much different in tone than what obviously you saw in Amazing or certainly in Superior right now.
3: Yeah. No, it, that didn't occur to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to write a good Spider-Man story, you know, and yeah, and, uh, and honestly, I just, I mean, I think they came to, and asked me to write a story based on the stuff I normally do, you know, the stuff I do is usually a little weird, and it's a little dark, dark, but not like, not dark for the sake of being dark, but just like, I think, Um, psychologically maybe a little darker. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I just want to be true to those characters and and a lot of times when I approach a story I just think, you know, what what would it really be like? Like what is it really like to be Peter Parker? What is it like to have his spider sense? You know, and that was one thing that I sort of sort of last time to it's like man if you Spider-Sense it's cool to have that and something like sort of making you aware of danger but if you're in danger for five issues in a row like that's gonna start to wear on you, you know? yeah, it's like yeah. it's like when I stay in New York too long. I need to go somewhere <laughs> quiet after a while Yeah.
2: So,
3: um, that's kind of what I was inspired by but yeah I don't I didn't feel any Inspiration or pressure to like put like yeah. bad words or like right. more extra sex and violence in it or anything. Right, right. Like, that's the normal kind of story I write. Definitely. Um, in terms
2: of the visual style, I mean, you know, that, again, that first issue, you know, had a lot of different. Um, you know, Marco Rudy did the art in terms of. Um, there was, like, video game-type images and a lot of kind of psychedelic art. As a writer, how do you collaborate with such a diverse artistic uh, palette, I guess, in terms of uh, the
3: comic you're working on? We just kind of watch it happen. Yeah. <laughs> I, honestly, I wrote it, and I, you know, I give them some some general guide, guidelines or, like, ideas, and a lot of times I'll just give them, you know, I would give them choices. I'm like, well, the theme of this issue is is going to be, like, thriller, you know, and the first issue was like uh, was supernatural and horror and I was like, this is the theme of the issue, I want to have um, all the villains that are sort of like horror themed villains, you know, and then and that's sort of how I structured the series is each issue is going to be sort of a different genre a different sort of pulpy genre um, inspiration for it, you know, so I chose villains based on that We tried to get all the elemental villains together so it's like Sandman and all the you know, those kind of guys are together and then the next she 's mm-hmm. going to have like all the like crazy like venom type characters you know? oh, nice. and, like, so I started I grouped them by theme and oh, yeah, yeah. and then within that then i 'm like, well, the, you know I think Marco did a really great job of running with that theme and sort of like taking the art you know in a way that sort of like reinforced those ideas so. yeah.
2: Well, obviously, with uh, a 99 villain story, uh, it's, there's a lot going on. I mean, once uh, this uh, miniseries concludes, do you feel that you have more Spider-Man stories to tell, or,
3: or, or are you good with this You're character a for a while? Is that right? yeah, okay. No, I mean, I can always come up with more stories, you know. Like, it's, uh, um, to yeah, me, come uh, back? Spider-Man yeah. okay. is, is sort of a like classic, you know. It's like <laughs> I'd love to take another okay. stab at him. He's like like Superman in a way. where, it, Like, I, I always thought with Superman, I don't ever want to write him because he's been written a hundred times, and, hundred million times from then uh, they- spider similar in a, in a lot of ways where they, the bar sets so high where so many people have done such oh, yeah. great stories you know what can you do that's better you know but um, I kind of felt that way about Spider-Man and, well, you but then you, <laughs> you're like, I like yeah, maybe I won't do it and then you think about it and like, and then you get an idea and cool. so then so yeah,
2: I'm sure I'll have another idea. Wait, well, well, Matt, before we let you go, do you uh, we can uh, plug a lot of your other work here? With uh, we put links in our podcast here. Uh, where can we find more of your stuff? Buy your stuff, whatever. Just just plug away.
3: <laughs> yeah, I know. that's cool. Dark Horse publishes most of my stuff, so my management is my monthly that I do every month. Um, should pick that up please yes (laughs) and then uh, I did this weekend it's great yeah so as long as you pick that up I don't care about the rest but the other I am doing uh, Unity for Valiant which is coming out in November which is like a big team book that's going to be fun I'm having fun with that and uh, a bunch of other DC books too so (laughs) all right, Matt well thanks
2: again for joining us on Superior Spider Talk This is Mark Giannacchio from Superior Spider-Talk here in Artist Alley at New York Comic-Con with Fred Van Linty. Uh, Fred uh, has written a number of Spider-Man comics over the years. He was part of that, that in-between era. It was right after Brand New Day, but it wasn't quite uh, big time yet with Slot, like that, that little transitional period there, but but a lot of really memorable stories, and you know, hope we can talk to Fred a little bit about that today. Um, Actually, the first question I wanted to ask you is with with the whole post brand new day creative process. I mean, there was the rotating uh, art and, and, and script teams. I mean, what was that like? How was that like for you to come in? I mean, was it did you just kind of each person got their projects and everyone just worked independently? I mean, was there a lot of collaboration among all the writers and all the artists? I mean, what was what was it like creatively on Amazing Spider-Man at that point?
4: Oh, it was super fun. I mean. Um it's largely how I think uh, in the very broad strokes how TV shows work like we would get together every six months in the Marvel offices uh, me, Mark Wade, Zeb Wells, Joe Kelly, uh, Dan and uh, originally Mark Guggenheim was involved um, and we would sit down and try to hash out, uh, you know, as much, go as far out as we could on the story as possible. And then, yeah, and then, you know, we each started getting signed stuff, and, and I tried to pinch hit a lot, uh, in gaps in the schedule, but for the most part, we all went off each other's corners. And then we, we circulated scripts for me email and commented and started talking about how to massage them with each other's and stuff, and, uh... It was super fun. It was a really rewarding experience.
2: Uh, were there were there any specific challenges with a, with a, such a large, diverse creative team? People scattered all over the country. I'm assuming. I mean, what was, or you know, once once you got going on a project, you were just able to kind of put your head down and do it.
4: Um, particularly if you were like bumping up somebody else's arc or leading into someone else's arc, it got a little tricky because a lot of times those issues weren't written yet, and because we all different artists and we worked at different speeds, sometimes it could get a little iffy, and sometimes plot elements were sort of addressed, that introduced, that never kind of went anywhere, uh, and, uh, uh, Yeah, sort of the the game of telephone of a whole bunch of different people working on the same thing. And honestly, with a a cast as vast as Spider-Man, that's that's probably also going to happen a lot, generally anyway.
2: Um, Now, your first arc, if I'm mistaken with this, I apologize, was the
4: red-headed stranger, Mary Jane return, right? Well, that was my first arc. My right. first issue was the return of the spot, which happened a few issues prior. To that. Right.
2: Well, let's talk about the, the MJ stuff for a second, because sure. I mean, you know that was that was significant, obviously, because of everything that had happened with uh, uh, one moment in well, not one moment in time, but uh, one, uh, one, uh, one more day. One more day. I see. I've forgotten all about. <laughs> I've blocked it from my memory. Not really. oh, yeah, blood. I know exactly. Uh, wiped it from your mind. <laughs> um, so, I mean what was it like to, to to jump in on that first full MJ story since when when she returned? I mean, did you feel any additional pressure just due to kind
4: of the the fan reaction to what happened with the wedding and the first with the marriage right. in the first place? Not particularly. I mean I always liked the I mean I never really liked the character of MJ. I mean I was definitely I literally uh, Stopped reading Spider Man as a kid when Spider Man got married because I thought it was lame. Not not with sort of a nerd rage, you know. I, I right. you know, I was a kid before really uh, message boards were that big, so right. I, I can't imagine I was the kind of kid who would jump, it would have jumped on board and you know denounced the company. I just stopped reading it. Right. I didn't, you know, not because of uh, you know I'm offended or anything, but because it sort of bothered me that. Um, Peter Parker, was her, this nerd character, emulate was suddenly dating a supermodel, which made which really frustrated me. He's already got superpowers, you know. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, but uh, Steve Wackard actually originally uh, asked me to write a, just a solo Mary Jane story for um, uh, for the, the ancillary books they were doing before Rep, Web of Spider Man got introduced. Um, and that story ended up becoming 605, which is this, which is this oversized issue that had a Spider-Man Cupid on the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd actually written that Mary Jane story before Redheaded Stranger. So I'd already, I already done a story that was literally just about her. So I had a pretty good grasp on her because she was the main character of this one story. So I felt pretty comfortable about it. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I think one of my personal favorite parts of that story was your chameleon, because I mean, for me, I've always kind of, uh, even though the chameleon was the first villain for Spider-Man, he was always, you know, kind of, kind of lame, you know, just a master of disguise, but, you know, what, 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 your chameleon, though, was, was meaner and nastier, I thought, it's, what, you know, where did you kind of draw your
4: inspiration for the, for the character on that? That was literally a story I've been thinking about since I was a kid and since that, that era of James DeMattis doing, you know, Craven's Last Hunt and all that stuff, and I sort of, started, I sort of did my own thing where I kind of imagined uh, sort of like how Craven, you know, was a bunch of darker hair in that story, uh, a chameleon who's sort of more of a sociopath and really almost more of a Batman villain in this sort of level of psychosis. And, what, what bothered me about Chameleon is they turned him, and I can sort of cer- certainly see why, is they turned him into a guy who could literally shapeshift. You know, he actually had superpowers. Right. And I didn't, I mean, I, what I liked about that first Ditko Lee story was that he was a normal dude, a just really competent human right. who actually could go toe-to-toe with Spider-Man. And so that's kind of what I wanted to do, is I wanted to do a story that where a, just a regular human posed really significant threat to Spider-Man.
2: Now, of course, one you, of your other first uh, early stories on ASM was the, uh, the, the Sandman arc, and then that had some social issues that got brought into it, so, I mean, you know, what, what are the challenges with that in terms of trying to use, use a superhero comic to make, you know, a statement, in this case, in terms about the, you know, like the foster care system and whatnot, I mean, you know, how, how, do, you, how do you work that into it when, when you're writing a character on Spider-Man?
4: you know I came at it from a different direction with the Sandman story that was definitely something that came out of the webhead uh, meetings and that we were talking about the gauntlet and uh, you know Sandman can be sort of a tricky character to deal with just because sort of he's the right he's the totally other opposite end from the chameleon he's got just an amazing superpower and you know it's not for nothing he was ended up being a fantastic core villain for all those years because he's really got a power set that's that's perhaps even better than Spider-man. Mm. But uh, for some reason, I just had this idea about a kid building a sandcastle that was, uh, was the Sandman, and I just sort of got stuck on the sandcastle idea, and that really mutated into that storyline, and then he became basically Sandman's foster daughter. And so I, I, I wasn't necessarily like uh, trying to do a social commentary. I mean, I, I often do social commentary in my work, but that one was more of an accent. I was just more trying to find trying to make the logical beats of, who is this kid, why does Sandman care about her? The Sandman cannot biologically have children, <laughs> at right? least post being turned into sand. So where does this kid come from? What's his relationship to her? And so then this, sort of, this whole sort of twisted murder story ended up coming up uh, around that.
2: Uh, who are some of your specific uh, influences as a writer?
4: Uh, definitely Spider-Man. Definitely reading Lee Dicko stuff which I got in pocket books back in the '70s. My parents got it for me. Uh, but big influence uh, all the you know the great guys in the '80s: Frank Miller, Alan Moore, uh, later Grant Morrison. Um, that really made me think that like super superheroes, it was a genre you could do a lot with. Uh, really, it was Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol that kind of brought me back into reading superheroes. Uh, and uh, but you know I tried to take influence from everywhere, like underground, like Jackson, Robert Crumb. And, of non uh, nonfiction and historical fiction, comics now, and uh, uh, you just it's you know it's a really uh, it's a really rich environment for inspiration in comics right now, particularly right now, and uh, it's cool just to find inspiration from anywhere.
2: Do you think you have any more Spider-Man stories to tell in your in your uh, in your repertoire, or do you think you've, you've done work on the character, you're done with it?
4: You know, I've loved the characters since I was a kid. Uh, I did the Marvel Adventure Spider-Man book. I did the Web of Spider-Man book. And I did the Amazing Spider-Man book. I'm a little spider man down at this point. It was, it was it was a little bittersweet when the Webhead era came to an end. Um, but at the same time, I, just because I was doing both Amazing and Web at the same time, I was a little spider man out. So the moment I had to say no, they called me up tomorrow and said, Hey, do a Spider-Man story, you know. <laughs> Uh, ironically, though, I'm consulting. I do a lot of Marvel games now, I'm consulting on one of the video games for The Amazing Spider-Man, mm-hmm. uh, mo- a mobile game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really actually have anything to with the story, so I guess I, I'm still <laughs> that still counts as me not having, you right. know, I'm more of a... The, the,
2: Consultant or... Yeah, yeah, the
4: guy <laughs> advising. Yeah. But uh, uh, there may be more in, in uh, games, at least, in the Olympics. So we'll see. Maybe not in game, comics, but maybe games. Yeah.
2: And uh, just kind of a nice, big, high-polluting... Uh, emotional question. I mean, what, what has it
4: meant to you to have worked on Spider-Man? You know, it's really cool, you know. Uh, it's sort of neat to sort of go to being a kid, sort of, uh, emulating Spider-Man and then to be sort of the guy charting his adventures and it's a really cool, you know, check off the bucket list, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, it, it was something I was super proud of, and it was, a, it was a great experience just from beginning to end, doing working in the Spider-Man office, everyone, uh, Steve Wacker and Tom Brennan were always great to me, and uh, I got work with some amazing artists like Javier Polito and, uh, and Barry Kitson, who I'm still friends with, and we're still talking about doing something together, and uh, uh, that's been a really, and Dick Vergara, who I, I get to do stuff with, mm-hmm. so it just a lot, it, just, it was a great experience all around.
2: All right, Fred, one more thing before we go. We'd love to uh, plug your stuff, uh, you know, list websites, Facebook, Twitters, whatever you want.
4: Well, by the time this goes up, uh, it'll be announced that I'm taking over a character that's sort of second in my list of things I've been excited about since Spider-Man. That's Conan the Barbarian. I'm going take it over the Dark Horse book here shortly from Brian Wood. book from Valiant called Archer Armstrong that's about a, a pair of uh, mismatched conspiracy busters running, roaming the world and getting new adventures. And a book that was received very well that I was very excited about was called Brain Boy, which is about a psychic secret service agent in a kind of alternate universe where there are psychic assassins and psychic bodyguards. And that's from Dark that Horse.
2: Excellent. Well, well, Fred, thanks again. We really appreciate you taking the time out and, uh, you know, hope you enjoy the rest of your stay here at New York Comic Con.
4: I want to sleep.
3: Yeah, right?
2: This is Marcinacchio from Superior Spider-Talk at New York Comic-Con in Artist Alley with uh, great comic book writer Peter David. Uh, Peter obviously worked on a lot of Spider-Man titles but uh, also has just written so many comic books over the years, comic books that many people love, he's one of my personal favorite writers. Uh, Peter, I really appreciate you being here. one of the first things I wanted to ask you about was, given uh, what's going on in yeah. the current Spider-Man yeah, universe, still, we have the yeah, return yeah. of Spider-Man 2099, which I know is a character that you held near and dear for, for a number of years. What, what do you think of the revival of this character? Are you
0: surprised to see Miguel O'Hara back in uh, mainstream comics? It doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, you know, remember he was a member of Exiles for mm-hmm. a good long time, um, so he hasn't really been out of mainstream comics. He's mm. been in mainstream comics. He's been in video games. People love the character, yeah. which I'm extremely flattered by considering I created it. Right. So it's obvious that I did something right.
2: Yeah. Um, do you think um, there, Miguel at this point can carry his own title again? I, I know you wrote 40-something issues <laughs> yes. of 2099. Uh, do you think he's got another 40 issue running him somewhere on his
0: own? I absolutely think so. I'd love to see new Spider-Man 2099 comic. I have no idea if Marvel has any plans for that, but if they did, I would be very excited about it. If they asked me to write it, I'd be thrilled.
2: Yes. Well, hopefully they'll come through on that, because I think a lot of people would love to have you there. Uh, the other you know, another one of your very beloved Spider-Man stories of course is the death of Gene the Wolf. Now there, there's a backstory to this yeah, to this storyline, right? That wasn't it sitting around for a year or two, you were trying to pitch it and it just didn't go through initially or, or am, I, am I mixing up my, my history here?
0: <laughs> You're mixing it up with the last Avengers story. Oh I'm sorry. <laughs> no, the death of Gene the Wolf was Jim Owsley's idea. Okay. Owsley came to me and said, I want to kill off Gene the Wolf do you want to write the story? And I went, okay. Right. I had no particularly strong attachment to Jean. Um, and I went out and I actually discovered that we hadn't seen her in the book for a year. Okay. Before we killed her off. Which is interesting because we were then immediately deluged by letters from people going, "Oh no, Jean's my favorite character. I'm going <laughs> She wasn't around for a year and I checked all through every single ma- every single letter that we got to Spider-Man during the course of that year and not one person wrote in and asked where Gene DeWolf Wolf was. <laughs> so everyone who suddenly starts decrying the notion of Gene was dead because his favorite character, you know, I kind of call bullshit on that one.
2: <laughs> well, one of the things that's, besides the, the the outrage over Gene, one of the things that gets uh, a lot of fans still talk about to this day is from a style standpoint, that whole storyline was just so different in tone um, than anything that had been in Spider-Man comics beforehand talk about the challenges of writing a story that's so different from its predecessors and you know for, for a longtime superhero like Spider-Man.
0: Well actually that to a certain degree that came from Owsley. Mm. He wanted to take Peter Parker, the tech with Spider-Man, and kind of turn it into our own our our own version of Hill Street Blues. Mm. He wanted to make it darker, more serious. Um, And since I was just starting out, I was not at that time pigeonholed as being the funny writer. Right. Um, It was actually kind of interesting because I had written two humorous Spider Man stories before that. Mm -hmm. So there were people who did think I just wrote funny stuff, and then I wrote The Death of Gene the Wolf, and suddenly I was the dark and serious writer. Mm -hmm. People love to try and pigeonhole you into whatever you've uh, most recently done.
2: Uh, I, I, I'm thinking one of those funny stories you must be talking about is the commuter cometh, right? The, uh, the an amazing. That's one or two, yeah. I, yeah. And I wanted to ask you about that. You know, one of the things I, I grew up on Long Island, so I totally got the suburban angle. And one of the things I wanted to know is if you ever f- foresaw there being a longer arc involved with Spider-Man being out of his New York City element. I think. That, do you think that there's more of a story to explore there than just a, a, a one-and-done story like commuter cometh? No. Okay, (laughs) that was simple Yeah, that's pretty straightforward on that one Okay, (laughs) one and done But, and then I guess for a less funny story And I'm sure you're probably sick and tired of answering questions About this actually, so you signing the comic a few minutes ago With the Hobgoblins (laughs) In 289 Yes Um just In terms of all that has come after that issue with um, you know, making a Kingsley instead of Ned Leeds and so right. on and so forth, and even in Superior recently they cracked a joke about uh, isn't the Hobgoblin Ned Leeds? No, it's Roderick Kingsley, didn't you know? Do you, do you feel that that's like, tarnished the legacy of the character at all, all the rewriting and retconning of, of what you originally did in the 80s there? No. <laughs> Are you satisfied with how that story came
0: out? I was satisfied with what I wrote, and the reason I'm satisfied with it was because I was thrust into a situation that I absolutely could not win. No. Um, It was the most insane project I was ever involved with. Basically, Jim Owsley came to my office, I was working at Marvel at the time in the sales department, and he says, you're going to write the conclusion to the Hobgoblin, and I said, I am? (laughs) And he said, yes, we're going to go out to lunch, and I'm going to tell you who the Hobgoblin is. (laughs) And I said, he's Ned Leeds, because that's who we had decided he was going to be Mm -hmm. at a previous spider meeting. And he said, no, he's not. Come, we'll go to lunch. So he took me out to lunch, and he said, Ned Leeds, he said, the Hobgoblin is going to be the foreigner. And I said, what? (laughs) He said, yes, he's going to be the foreigner. I said, no, he's not. He's Ned Leeds. And... He said, well, no, no, he's going to be the foreigner. And I said, he can't be the foreigner because we said repeatedly that he's a character who's been around since the beginning and the foreigner was introduced after that. Mm -hmm. He said, he cannot be the foreigner. And he said, well, he can't be Ned Leeds. And I said, why not? He says, I'm killing off Ned Leeds. (laughs) I said, what? He said, yes, I'm I'm killing him off in this Spider-Man one-shot. And I said, why are you doing that? He said, to piss off Tom DeFalco. I said, well, that's really mature. Um, And so he said, well, if he's not Ned Leeds, who is he? And I'm going back and forth and trying to figure out what the hell to do. And I came up with the demented notion of, no, he is Ned Leeds. He's just going to be dead when we do the reveal. (laughs) And we said, well, then who is he then? And I I said, well, who would want Ned Leeds dead? and then I came up with the notion of it being jack-o'-lantern mm-hmm. because the hobgoblin had threatened jack-o'-lantern so now we did bring the foreigner into it because yeah. the foreigner is his master assassin right. and I think if anyone knows who the hobgoblin is it's going to be the
4: foreigner Yes.
0: and so okay we have the foreigner's men burst in catch Ned Leeds flat-footed and in an astoundingly badly drawn scene that had no drama or punch or action to it uh, that's exactly what happened and and lo and behold that's how Ned Leeds turned out to be the Hobgoblin it was a story that I did because I had absolutely no other way no. to do it and I took a certain satisfaction in that nobody else would ever do anything like it again
2: um, so fast forwarding a little bit and, and you know I, I honestly don't know what your answer to this is going to be so I don't know if, if this is more putting you in a possible situation stories again but uh-huh. um, when you were on was it Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man in the, in the 2000s. Did, yeah. you, did, did, did you feel that your um, your work got truncated by the whole brand new day, one more day? Absolutely. H- okay.
0: Absolutely. Writing Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man was one of the most frustrating endeavors I ever undertook because everything that I did had to play second fiddle to stuff that was happening in the other Spider-Man books. Mm. So I kept coming up with stories that kept getting truncated or had to be Bent or twisted to accommodate what was going on over in Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, also, every time I wanted to eat the villain, they said, no, 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 we're saving him for Roberto, uh, who was writing the other Spider-Man right, book. Right. So I couldn't use the villains I wanted to do, and I couldn't tell the stories I wanted to. Um, and gee, sales weren't good. I
3: wonder why. <laughs> um,
0: of of the, you know, there were a few issues there that I wound up liking a lot. And I mean a lot. But a lot of the stuff was simply not what I had wanted to do. But I really didn't have much of a choice. It was the gig that I signed on for, and that's pretty much the way that went. On the other hand, some things benefited. I mean, for instance, um, I was asked during an interview what what was going to be the resolution to the Jonah Jameson Peter Parker story, because mm-hmm. Jameson was suing Peter. Right. And I said, Oh, I'm sure that's going to be taken of an amazing take care of an amazing Spider Man. And then having no idea, I contacted the editor and said, just out of curiosity, how is Joe planning to resolve that before we do, you know, uh, one more day? And they raised that, and he said, oh, Joe's not going to. And I went, what? He said, yeah, Joe hasn't, doesn't have any plans how to to fix that up, to, to finish that. Right. And I said, can I do it? <laughs> and he said, sure. And that's where my last issue Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man came from, and I was really... I was really pleased with the way that story came out, and it all came out because some fan asked about it.
2: (laughs) Well, Peter, I guess to summarize your your time with the character, I mean, what has it meant to you as a writer to have written so many Spider-Man stories over the years?
0: Oh, it's been a lot of fun. I would love to write, you know, I'd love to write like a hundred more. Spider-Man is probably one of my favorite Marvel characters. Not my most favorite, but certainly one of my favorite ones. You know, he's Marvel's flagship. Uh, there's so much you can do with him. Um, I mean, I was thinking of doing this story where his mind gets taken over by Dr. Octopus, but, you know, <laughs> I've done, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but there's, you know, there's all kinds of possibilities. I would love to take a whack at it.
2: Well, we would certainly welcome you to, to, to you know, either get a mini-series or a run on the, on the continuing again. Peter, we do thank you. Where can we find more of your stuff? Where I, I know, was there uh, the announcement this weekend about what you're yes. working on next? And also, let us know where we can find your books and, and everything else. Okay. Uh,
0: well, we announced this weekend that I'm going to be doing a new X-Factor series, uh, which I'm very excited about, and I hope people will be aboard for the ride. Um, also, I self published novels under crazy which you can find at www.crazyaidpress.com. my most recent one is a novel called Fearless which I co-wrote with my daughter Caroline it's a follow up to a previous book of mine called Tiger Art. I also just turned in a novel that's going to be published by Amazon Press called Artful the story of the art for Dodger Hunter of Vampires mm. and other things um, and you know go to local bookstores and see what else I have coming up
2: excellent well Peter thank you so much for joining us on Superior Spider Talk
1: amazing friend Mark Peter David he's the man what a great interview you got with him
2: uh, thank you and I, I, you know the other two were great too I mean both were very friendly gave me gave me good time um, but it was a thrill uh, specifically for me with Peter just because he's he's one of my favorites um, so I'm glad I hope you all enjoy them
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, if you guys have any opinions on these interviews or any questions at all, please email them to us at SuperiorSpiderTalk at gmail.com and we'll address and read them on the air.
2: And be sure to check our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash SuperiorSpiderTalk because it's a pretty cool place to keep up with us in between shows because we put up articles, breaking news, yada, 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 and get in touch with us.
1: So uh, Mark, uh besides Facebook, where's a good place to find you on the internet?
2: Well, Dan, you can find me at www.chasingamazingblog.com. You can follow me on Twitter at chasingasmblog. Like me on Facebook at facebook.com/ um and uh, gimmick or good, the 90s co- column I do on comics should be good.
1: Awesome, man. And you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at DanGavazdan, and you can find me on my website, dangavazden.com or my movie review site, GrindMyReels.com. So, Mark, um, you know, I was at the baseball game the other day. I was actually at the World Series.
2: Ha so you were either in Boston or St. Louis. Continue.
1: Yeah, I was, and I won't tell you which one. And, uh, you know, I was sitting there, and there was a, there was a home run that was hit my way.
2: Wow. And and what what else to the story?
1: (laughs) Well (laughs) the, the the ball was coming straight at me and I like put my glove up to catch it, you know, and then this older man who was this powerful older man just kind of bumped into my way and using his great power took the ball Out of my hand I was pretty upset about it But then he looked down at me And handed the ball back to me Realizing that a smaller individual like myself You know, deserved to to get that ball And I thought, wow Like that man really knows the responsibility To that power that he has But then he mentioned that he knew you
2: yeah, I bet I bet he and I used to go to Met games together and we would watch the Mets get beaten thirty seven nothing and have the left fielder come in and pitch a couple of innings. That has to be my Uncle Ben who would of course have reminded you with great podcasts must also come, Superior Spider Talk.